Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Patty, how are you this week? Positively fantastic. How are you? I'm excellent. Did you watch the game? Yes. Fantastic. I didn't, but I listened to it on Kerry Radio, which was hilarious because I was I was trying to listen to it like with the perspective of someone who wasn't Irish or just wasn't from Kerry, and it was just the accents were just fantastic. Yeah. The Chad Dublin beating the Virgin Kerry yet again. Scumbags. Look, I just love how the whole country basically it's basically turns into the same thing, you know, uh, like the Premier League does. It's like anyone but United, you know, or anyone but Liverpool. Like, they just hate those clubs. Like, the whole country is like, oh, we all support Kerry now just because they all hate the Chad Dublin. But look, the Chad Dublin doesn't even fucking care because we still go on to nomination. With the whole country against us. It's fun. But look. Oh, the fucking kingdom. <laughs> The only good thing about Terry was fungi, but anyway. There's loads of fungies. Yeah, that's just because he died, like. Don't tell the kids that, man. <laughs> anyway, what are we going to <laughs> talk about today? Talking about the limits of quote-unquote flexible dieting. And I put that in quotes because what flexible dieting means in theory or in practice rather is different to what people who actually try to define flexible dieting and flexible eating behaviors um, what they actually mean so you know if you were talking about flexible eating behaviors in the research that means something different to the actual flexible dieting that people typically typically think of so when I when I say better to even just define it as like the IIFYM yeah cult that culture community whatever yeah, basically, basically what we could summarize it as like the limits of a calorie centric approach to nutrition, as in your focus just on calories, like maybe on macronutrients as well, but you totally disregard food quality. And this is something that is, you know, prevalent in some corners of the fitness industry, um, not so much in others. And, and that, that can be potentially just, just a, a side effect of the pendulum swinging, you know, because obviously, if you'd went back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, it was very much, you know, the, the bodybuilding and fitness sphere was all about particular foods. It was all about the, the foods that you were eating. There was a limited list of foods and um, specific times that you had to eat and um, specific nutrients. And then obviously the pendulum you know, came back towards the center and people were like, oh, calories actually matter. And it's, it's about macronutrients, you know, that matters too. And then some people kind of take that a bit too far to say that, you know, it's just all about your calories, bro. Doesn't matter what you eat and you don't need to worry about nutrient timing ever. And that, that is a, it's probably not the best approach to nutrition for, for health and, or for body composition and performance. Yeah. But, but also for health. And the reason I wanted to, to bring this up is because, like, personally, I've been trying to lose a bit of weight recently, okay? So I say weight because I'm trying to make an actual weight class. So it's not just fat. It's, like, actually just trying to lose weight. And as part of that, I've been... That's good. What you're saying. 
pretty much. <laughs> and as part of that, I've been adjusting my food choices. So changing some of the food choices that I've been making, you know, versus what I would normally make. So generally, I would have quite a bit of flexibility in my diet. Um, I don't, I wouldn't have like that much structure day, day to day. And I'm kind of like, let it roam a bit freer, you could say. Whereas now things are a little bit tighter. I'm, I'm more careful about the food choices I make. And I'm thinking about how will this contribute to my satiety? How will it, you know, will this fill me up enough? Or, you know, because my food choices are more limited in that I don't have enough cal calories to work with, I'm asking myself, how can I maximize the nutrient density of my diet so that I'm still meeting my micronutrient requirements while having restricted calories? So that's what kind of prompted this discussion. And I do think it's an important one to have. Yeah, because there's a few, there's actually quite a few aspects to this, which like you said, it is that pendulum swinging where before, you know, you had just like, oh, it's all about the, the meals you eat, uh, you have to have tilapia to thin the skin, you know, fish thins the skin, rice, fucking broccoli, and, and that's it, you know, maybe chicken, you know, you know, like they're a very limited range of foods available to you, a very limited approach to dieting where it's like if you're you're either on your diet or you're off your diet if there's no in between there's no grading to this there's no real understanding of the fundamentals now this is not to say that the people that were originally designing this didn't understand the fundamentals but like most things in culture well humans just do it full stop things become like sound bites where it's like the the actual information isn't presented it's just the end point, the sound bite that gets presented, you know? So originally someone might've come up and gone, you know, chicken breast is probably a better idea to have than steak because, you know, it has less fat in it. So that's going to allow you to lose some weight, but then it just becomes, you only eat chicken breast, you know? So there, there is that whole continuum, that whole historical perspective. And then obviously it pushes into the, <clears throat> what happened with it, where it's like, people effectively used a dieting style to sell them because that's that that is what happened <clears throat> people became iifym coaches they're like oh i can teach you how to lose weight and still eat burgers and still eat pizza and whatever else and like that that's obviously good but when you look at their feed there's obviously this bias then where it's all they ever show is them eating burgers, them eating pizza, them eating, you know, sweets, candy, chocolate bars, whatever, you know? So that's, that's how the pendulum swung the other way, which again, once you actually see what's going on and actually cut through a lot of that stuff, you can actually see how some of these things that are being propagated are actually detrimental to long-term results, even, even short-term results to an extent. Um, and this, there's a few aspects to this. First of all, there's the, the micronutrient aspect. Second of all, there's the satiety aspect. And then third of all, there is the whole, we'll call it, yeah, it's more, it's more of a psychological aspect to it. But once we start digging into this, you'll start seeing that, okay, so there are good aspects to this. This is not a, a podcast of us going like, oh, IFYM culture is retarded, it's stupid, they're dumb, they're fucking idiots. That's, this is not all we're saying, right? Like, I think they've done quite a lot for the actual advancement of the understanding of nutrition as a whole, you know? But that doesn't mean that they get everything right, you know? And one, one of the things 
which like you've actually said it before, Gary, which actually kind of annoys me all the time because I fucking hate you. Well, second of all, well, first of all, you, you always say that it's like, oh, like you think that uh, resistance training is kind of going through the renaissance that nutrition went through. However, I just think that we've effectively got to a stage with nutrition where, you know, we know quite a lot, but we assume then that we know everything as a result. When in reality, there's actually so fucking little that we know. Like we have this very closed-minded i wouldn't even say closed-minded this this supposedly open-minded approach to nutrition where it's like yeah we actually understand nutrition and we understand that there's these uh, components in it and you know there's uh, micronutrients minerals vitamins and that they're important well first of all people just have no clue what they're actually important for like what are the actual things that they do within the body which is fair enough especially if you're a lay person but this is actual coaches themselves. Like as in like they've, they've never gone past calories and macros, you know, which is just the very basics. Like that's just learning sets and reps, you know, how to, how to perform basic exercises. And that's where people stop with nutrition, you know, and you see the really good coaches, they actually go a little bit deeper. And I don't even mean just deeper in terms of they're like learning off what fucking riboflavin does in the body or anything like that. Like they're actually looking at the entire organism, the, the psychosocial aspects of nutrition, how the actual individual in front of them is actually um, responding to the dietary manipulations and they're not doing stuff like you know oh well we'll just reduce calories so you lose fat and they're effectively just like bullying off muscle mass or they're not actually looking into the the psychological aspects of how they are dieting like they're, they're setting themselves up for these kind of binge restrict cycles and this over focus on hyper palatable foods and there's a lot that's just missing from the conversation when people just go, oh, it's just calories and macros. Because at the end of the day, like it is just calories and macros. Like that is what it is. You could say calorie ma- calories, macros, and micros, um, but that's that's a, effectively people are just missing that whole argument. But the thing that I think again, this is what annoys me. But when you say that, is like it almost implies that we know everything about nutrition when we actually know so little. Like it's only recently that we understood that you know uh, stuff. Say for example, broccoli. You eat broccoli. Well, you actually get like not the broccoli DNA, but the the micro RNA like from that broccoli that actually it enters your bloodstream, right? F- from eating it, right? And then that actually influences your gene expression, right? So the actual genes, to an extent, uh, of the broccoli that you're eating are actually influencing your genes, right? No clue about that before. Like, we didn't even understand that that was a possibility, right? So, like, we still don't even know what that actually truly fully means. And I'm just using broccoli as an example. Um, but, like, th- there's other stuff. There's, there's stuff, there's bioactive comp- components of foods that we don't know if they're good, bad, indifferent. We don't even know they exist. You know, and that could be in stuff that you eat every single day, you know. So there's a lot that we just don't know. And to assume that just oh count your calories and hit your macros and that's the end of it, to assume that that's the extent of the story, like it's just completely reductionist. Because yes, you will influence the outcome that you're trying to influence like if you're trying to lose body fat see this this is the actual issue with the whole thing it comes from the the thought process that we're actually only trying to influence body composition you know 
the, again, it's, the, it's a leftover remnant of this bodybuilding culture that is the health and fitness industry where the only thing that really matters is your body composition. Like they're not actually talking about their health. They're not actually talking about even their performance, you know? And you see this a lot as well, like in bodybuilding culture, like they'll, they'll talk about their health, they'll talk about stuff, but they'll still do stuff that is actually antagonistic to health. Like they'll be on rakes of gear, like they'll be on like fucking five grams of fucking trend a week. And they'll be like, I'm just doing this for my health, bro. You know, it's like this, like this, there is a, a dichotomy here. Like you aren't actually healthy, you know, and you're not focusing on things that are healthful, you know? So there's, there's a lot missing from the conversation as a whole and it's actually nobody's fault you know it's it's more so the fault of society like i hate blaming society but the societal expectations of health and fitness to actually be reflective in just body composition change like that's that's 90 percent of the industry oh is this going to help me lose fat you know because if that's all it is it's like well like calories and macros are going to get you 90% of the way to losing fat. Like, yes, you have to then take in like the, the psychosocial aspects, the other 10% or whatever, and that'll get you where you need to go with that. But that doesn't mean that you end up with a six pack and you're healthy, you know? So it kind of forgets part of the equation. Again, this, this is where this IFIM culture that really pushes forward the, the concept of, I'm just going to eat absolute crap and then bang back a few multivitamins and we call it good to go. Again, like you, like you, you, that, yes, that will cover your basis to an extent. But as I said, there's other stuff in food that we don't know what the fuck it's doing. You know, we, like, we don't even know it exists. So there is that aspect that has to be layered onto the, the conversation. But yeah. Firstly, to avoid myself being misquoted, the thing that I always say, that I, I always say it, I'm like, people are making the same mistakes with training that they used to make with nutrition in that they, people are happy to be really flexible when it comes to nutrition, but then they're really rigid when it comes to training, when it comes to training. So that's my quote. That's what I always say. But anyway, um, that, that is, that is so, um, so to, to play devil's advocate on the side of the, you know, it's just IFYM, calories and macros. There, you can make a really strong case that all you need to worry about is just, you know, it's just calories. Because, for example, if you're dealing with the obese population and they have lots of associated comorbidities, you know, things like cardiovascular disease, things like, you know, insulin resistance or, you know, osteoarthritis. So you've got all, the, all these different pathologies. There are links between those different um, pathophysiological states that can all be improved by simply losing body fat, which can be achieved by simply reducing calorie intake. And that's all you have to do. So what that means is that there is merit to just focusing on those things in that, yeah, you can actually do this and significantly really improve someone's health. Similarly, if you can avoid being overweight or obese in the first place through just having a calorie centric approach to your nutrition, then again, that's great. There's merit to that. Similarly, from a performance perspective, so, so calories are. Before we go, I, 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 go on. Just uh, the 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 thought process of calories as a whole, like all of the other stuff, is secondary to this. So you have to always keep that in mind. Like you'll see this as well, and this this is something that 
is actually really annoying about nutrition as a whole. Like people will say, for example, saturated fat is a problem, right? Because they'll use studies and they'll be like, look at this population, this country, like they always use uh, Sweden, Sweden or Norway. I can't remember which one it was, but they, they Finland. Finland right? they told their population to reduce saturated fat. And all of a sudden they saw a reduction in heart disease. So you can use that and you can make that out and be like, look, saturated fat, clear evidence here. But you also look at all those studies and the average people were dropping like 11 to 15 pounds, right? So was it the reduction in body fat that caused this? Like, cause that you could literally say eat saturated fat only and have a reduction in body fat and you would see an improvement in health from a calorie perspective. Now I'm not saying that, you know, saturated fat is completely exonerated. That's again, this, this is, I don't want to dichotomize the argument, but the, the calorie aspect is so often forgotten in the, the argument that like people fall into the camp of, oh, well, it's just certain types of food. Let's eat health, healthily and that's all you need to do. But they're not controlling for calories. So I want to get yeah. that across that it is. You have to have that underlying fundamentals of a calorie-appropriate diet. And if you want to compare anything in health, if you don't account for calories and body fat as a whole, like a, the, the level of body fat change or weight change, then like your, your research is so up for interpretation that you know if you want to show a, an actual link like your control group has to lose the same amount of weight as the the people that took away saturated fat or whatever you're trying to control for so what gary's saying there is like the calorie aspect is fundamental so i also don't want this argument this this podcast to be brought away into another tangent where it's like oh so they're, they're actually just saying just eat healthy food and like IIFOM is like a load of bullshit. Like I, I don't want that to be the message. Like the, the fundamentals are still the fundamentals, a calorie appropriate diet, macronutrient control, but there are other aspects to this whole argument that need to be discussed out. You know? But anyway, sorry for interrupting. Yeah. So, 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 so as I was saying, the, you know, you've got your, your calorie centric approach and it can indeed lead to, improvements in body composition and health like because like that's the thing i want to make clear is that some people some people will just you know it's, it's just a typical what aboutism like if, if you start talking about like calories matter they'll be like what about health you know but what about health like that's always the argument so calories still super important for health and you can make massive improvements in your health focusing only on calories same with performance you know it, it, calories fundamentally is some way of quantifying the amount of energy you have in your diet that can then be converted into the energy that you require to be able to exercise. So that's really important as well for performance. So basically what I'm saying is that there's a lot of merit there to focusing on calories, really important. But it's often a, like that, like calories is not a behavioral intervention. Like calories is some way of quantifying the results of the behaviors that you partake in. And this is the really, really key point is that for people like, us in who are in the fitness sphere and we're willing to use my fitness pal we're willing to weigh our foods to calculate all our calories and come up with some number like it's fine to say like that's all you have to focus on but in the real world you are fundamentally eating foods and your foods have some some qualities and quantities related to their satiety you know how full they keep you, you know how full are you after your meals how much actual nutrition are you getting from the foods that you're consuming 
how palatable are they in that like how likely are you to want to overeat a certain food a baked potato and a pop tart very different from that perspective you know in terms of how the drive to continue eating so you have to consider how the the foods that you are consuming relate to your nutrition your fullness and your desire to keep eating which is all like integrated with like neuroendocrine signals and all these complex complex things going on in your body so we can't just reduce it to being like just control your calories and worry about nothing else because in the real world people eat food and we have to consider those factors so if you were to give advice to a general lay populate lay person and they're going to say to you i have no desire to track calories what should i do you can't just say oh yeah just 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 eat less but eat whatever you want it's like that that's not helpful at all and everyone knows that so we always have to consider like how do things actually play out in the real world and it is fundamentally those behaviors the food choices that you make that lead to you being able to control your calories so we have to recognize that there are proximal behaviors there and that even goes for those of us who are tracking our calories tracking your calories like let's say you're aiming for 2000 a day and consuming you know loads of vegetables like 8 to 12 servings of like fruits and vegetables per day eating plenty of protein in your diet consuming sufficient fiber and choosing higher volume foods where possible like for example getting your potatoes or your carbohydrates from potatoes instead of um cereals and you know pop tarts like everyone knows that is very different and dietary adherence if you were to look at two totally different diets there one would expect that it would be easier to adhere to the whole food diet because you'd be fuller you'd be fuller and you would have like i almost call it like taste taste perception in that like when you're used to eating a blander quality diet it appears tastier than if you were used to a hyper palatable diet based on junk food and then you eat the chicken and and potatoes and broccoli you know like it's 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 like you're just being accustomed down that path instead um so you do really have to consider like what like what the difference between diets actually is even when you are accounting for for calories and potentially even macronutrients and again like the adherence conversation does get more complicated and that's will will be what we we'll get into because you could be the person that's just because that could sound like i'm making the case just for quote unquote clean eating but your adherence could also be supported by the inclusion of some of those hyper palatable foods so i guess the way i think it's helpful to look at it is consider the proximal behaviors with while trying to control distal measure of like these are my calories you know yeah like that adherence aspect is a really hard one to decipher it because like mm-hmm. to make a perfect statement just assumes that we're all the same you know which is yeah. obviously not the case like there's an individual out there that you know they're like okay i'm going to try this IFYM stuff but i'm going to go for the approach that we're going to advocate which is roughly like eat whole foods 80 to 90 percent of the time and you know have some discretionary calories that you know perhaps would allow you to fit stuff in that you know you may be craving however that might be for that individual terrible like they might be like as soon as I have that one cookie, I'm off on a mad one. I'm on a binge, you know? So to advocate for that person to say, oh, your adherence is going to improve if you have a little bit more flexibility in your diet, like that, that might be the most, the, the worst advice for that person, you know? So like obviously there is an individual aspect to it. And as a result, you know, anything that <clears throat> is a generalized bit of information isn't going to help everyone that's the case with all information you know it has to be individualized to that actual individual that is trying to lose weight gain muscle whatever the fuck 
right? Um, so that, that has to be taken into account that when we discuss adherence. You know, you might be the individual that you actually adhere better to your diet if there's just no, like it is a, a bland, quote unquote, bland diet. Like, yes, you're still spicing your food, you're still eating tastier, you know, fruits and veg and whatever, um, but you're not going for these like hyper palatable foods you know you're not going for you know a, a big mac or something or whatever it is that you're like oh yeah that really makes me lick my lips you know that's wh whatever that is you're not going for those like types of food you're just sticking to a kind of set list of foods that you're like yeah they're a little bit more bland but you know it actually helps me adhere to my diet because you know this i just eat this i don't eat i know if i eat something really really tasty i just overeat you know so Again, like that could be an argument for someone having, you know, a more fat-based diet or a more carb-based diet. Again, there's there's so many ways to actually individualize that so that someone can actually adhere better. But also, there are the individuals then that, again, put it out there and will will argue the opposite side of things. They're like, oh, well, I actually adhere to my calories better when 90% of it is junk food. You know, but in most cases you'll see people doing these behaviors that that allow them or facilitate them doing that which aren't really healthful behaviors and what i mean by that is like people will fast all day just so they can eat a 2000 calorie meal at night and be like yeah bro i'm just intermittent fasting that's that's how i'm able to stay lean i'm able to control my calories and still eat this junk food you know and it's like okay like that's that is definitely an approach that will allow you to hit your calories and adhere to those calories. But is that not, is that necessarily the best approach from a health perspective or a muscle gain perspective? Like if you're eating all your protein in one meal versus having that spread out throughout the day, you know, there's, there's obviously some difference there, you know, even if it is calorie matched. However, because as we said earlier on, like the, that individual may actually then lose weight you know, get shredded or whatever, like that almost allows them to justify their, their level of whatever, I-F-Y-M, whatever you want to say, their level of flexibility within their diet. They're like, look, I got absolutely fucking shredded and I was eating Pop-Tarts every single day of the week, you know? And it's like, okay, well, like that doesn't mean that that was the best approach for you to do that just because you actually got the outcome that you wanted. You know, and again, I'm not saying that I, I have the best approach, but this is what I'm saying. You see in the fitness industry, you just see people. It's almost like a, a survivorship bias where it's like they survived their diet. So therefore their diet was justified, you know, and it's like, that's, that's not how we should be looking at this. We should be looking at things from like, let's actually make the most optimal diet. Right. And then we can see how we can deviate from that so that you can actually both adhere to it you know, and actually enjoy the process, you know, because again, I'm not, I'm not advocating here, which again is people just get pushed into these dichotomous camps where it's like, you're either IFOM or you're clean eating, bro, you know, and that's, that's where people are pushed into. And it's like, let's, let's meet here in the middle somewhere where it's like, we have a, a focus on actually eating real food for the majority of the time. And, you know, if you want to have a little bit more flexibility within, first of all, the, the quote unquote real food that you're eating, you know, it's like, okay, well, you don't actually have to just eat chicken. You can have a variety of meats. You can have a variety of vegetables. You can have a variety of carb sources. So there's a lot of 
flexibility within the, the quote-unquote real or clean foods that you're eating there, but then also have the perspective that, you know, if I do want to fit in some quote-unquote junk food, I, I have the ability to put that in. And again, that could be literally something like 50 calories per day, you know, where you're just like, I'm just putting that in. Like, we'll say there's a, a an unclean food that you're eating, uh, uh, an IFYM food, and you're like, I actually really enjoy that. I like to have chocolate in my oats, you know? And it's like, okay, cool. Like that actually then allows you to stick to your diet, have, hit your calories, hit your macronutrients, and it, it gives you that little bit of satiety. Maybe you have oats before bed and you put some chocolate in and you're like, chocolate's a bit of a bad food, man, I don't know. And you're like, well, it actually allows me to adhere to my diet better overall. However, then people will then justify that and be like, okay, so if a little bit is good, then obviously the same is true with a lot. So, you know, I was having this bowl of oats with uh, a little bit of chocolate in it, but I'm actually going to switch that out for, you know, some cocoa pops or something. And it's like, okay, like, yes, that's, that again, it would be a perfect approach. But, you know, perhaps the food volume aspect now means that you wake up and you're hungrier, you know? And now you're kind of like, okay, man, now, now it's a little bit harder to stick to my diet the next day. And again, like all of these, little things add up you know because if you're finding every single morning you wake up and it's you're starving and it's hard to stick to your diet like that's that's almost setting you up for you know almost failure because you're kind of like well i'm already starting my day at a at a deficit of uh mental energy or whatever you want to say because like willpower is not finite i know that was a thought process a while ago but it's not finite. like you do have unlimited willpower um but if you start your day and you're like, oh, I'm fucking starving already, you know, that's, that's a potential negative towards you actually adhering to your day long term. Now, obviously, there's different things you can do to offset that. But what I'm saying is you have to take into account the actual food volume, the actual food quantity, quality, all of that stuff. Like, again, like as I was saying before, like there's stuff that we don't even know about the human body and how it responds to nutrition. Like it's only recently that and we still also don't really know this. Like we actually have uh nerve cells not just like your vagus nerve and stuff um but nerve cells on the outside of your stomach and i've only been recently reading this research so i'm like probably going to butcher it but like you actually get rather than having a, a hormonal response which is what we thought was like it was a fully hormonal response to eating in terms of you know you had uh uh, ghrelin and all, all of those like say hunger hormones and satiety hormones being secreted and they were targeted for drugs like pharmacology pharmacologically targeted and be like okay well if we can target this we can control appetite and it didn't really work and now what they think is like there's actually other stuff going on that it's actually able to send a neurological uh, signal as in like an electrical if you want to look at it like that so your brain actually gets feedback almost immediately in terms of what you're eating so there's this whole other aspect like they're almost like uh glial cells uh on, like nerve cells or whatever uh on, on your in, in just on the outside of your intestinal lining or the inside depending on what way you look at it um and they're transmitting this information in in a second like the same way you would be able to like, transmit a, a nerve impulse to your arm you know so we, what the fuck does that mean i have no fucking clue you know, in terms of what does that mean in terms of our dietary practices and in terms of how we approach diet, how we look at things, I don't know at the moment, you know. Um, but, like, that's what I'm saying. There's, there's so much, it, like, the way people approach nutrition from a fully 
IIFYM perspective almost makes it look like we know everything about nutrition when that isn't the case at all. But I also would, would look at it from the perspective of the people that are like the, the floating heads of IIFYM don't eat in a manner that the, the general IIFYM people eat, you know, like the, the actual people that propagate the, the thought process or originally brought up the thought process generally eat real food, like quote unquote real food, like again, definition of that, you know, um, but they eat real food and then they fit in a little bit of whatever they want, you know, and again, that doesn't have to be a like all out binge fest, but it could be like, all right, well, I actually like to have, you know, burritos and they don't really fit into my narrow perspective of these are clean foods, but they're able to fit the calories in and as a result, enjoy their diet as a whole, you know? So basically a lot more to this whole, whole diet stuff than first of all, we even know both from a food perspective and a human physiology perspective. And so to think that you can be so reductionist and say, it's all just calories and it's all just calories and macronutrients. Like it's blatantly wrong. <laughs> like, yes, like you are right, but it's also, it's ignorant in terms of the actual, like what that actually means. Like thermodynamics are the, the governing factor here, you know, but the, the extent to how that influences your actual practices and what the diet actually looks like can be very easily misrepresented. Yes, sir. And, and like that is like a lot of that is even like just focusing on like our narrow focus on body composition within the physique sphere. As in like, that's generally what people talk about when they talk about IFYM, but like you're not just thinking about like calories when you're thinking about, you know, things like your risk of colorectal cancer or your risk of developing atherosclerosis. Like these are the things that actually kill people. I mean, this is the stuff you need to concern your, yourself with in the long term in that like you should be opting for like what I would argue for a more conservative approach to diet when you are thinking about the types of foods that you eat in that if you think that it, something is, is pretty radical, like consuming all of your carbohydrates from sugar, like just, just sugary kind of processed foods, like that might, that might work. But do you think that is reasonable based on the entirety of the evidence? Uh, between like food and diet it's the same thing when it comes to things like the, the carnivore diet you know it's it's the opposite side of the spectrum where it's real restrictive to one food and when you see people like reporting positive outcomes in their their symptoms in the short term you still have to ask yourself you know if something that radical is totally different to the consensus based on thousands and thousands of studies over decades you know a century of research then you have to ask yourself, like, what's the more conservative approach that's likely to be useful for me in the long term? And generally come back to re fairly reasonable practices. So like, it, it almost sounds like you're just, we're just like, oh no, you have to believe the consensus all the time. But it is sort of sound in this case to try not to deviate to any radical extreme. And like, you know, people this, love to... Even this thing, right? Go ahead. It's not even, like, people are believing the wrong consensus. Like again, with the carnivore diet, like you'll see again, people will lose weight while eating it. So it's like, yeah. was it the carnivore diet that did this or was it a diet that allowed you to lose weight and thus reduce yeah. your inflammation overall? Because people will say, they'll be like, oh, my depression cleared up after uh, eating a carnivore diet. And I'm like, 
like I'm doing my, my fourth year project on sex differences in depression um, and chronic inflammation. And like there's this huge body of research showing how inflammation and depression is a bi-directional pathway here. And it's like, so like we know just from a very, very simple mechanistic point of view, like fat is an endocrine organ. It secretes inflammatory cytokines, right? So you reduce your body fat, all of a sudden you have a reduction in inflammatory cytokines now you have an induction, a reduction in your infl- inflammatory cascade as a whole. And, oh, wow, your depression is now cured. And it's like, you could have literally achieved this through any means that allowed you to reduce your body fat. But people would be like, well, I was actually able to stick to a carnivore diet. And that's what got me all this relief. And it's like, that's not like to dispute that, I think is ignorant in terms of like, this is someone's lived experience where they're like, mm-hmm this allowed me to adhere to it. So it's like, okay, cool. Like that's just, we found a dieting style that allows you to adhere to it. But when you see the problem arises, when people then say, oh, this is the only way to do this, or this is the way to do this. And it's like, you just don't understand the fundamental mechanisms. And as a result, that allows you to come to the wrong conclusions and then support the wrong consensus. You know, like it, it looks like you're against the consensus when realistically you're 100% with the consensus. You know, your, your methodology of achieving that consensus is different than the, the consensus methodology of con- <laughs> achieving that consensus, if that makes sense. Like we know the link between body fat, inflammation and depression, right? It, it's, it's pretty obvious right there. Now, again, to what extent, I don't, I, don't, I don't fucking know, right? But we know the link there, right? Like we can mechanistically work out the link. But if you then say like, carnivore cured my depression, carnivore diet cures depression. It's like, you just, you actually don't understand the fundamentals of like human physiology. And as a result, you're able to come to the wrong conclusions, but come to a good approach. I'm going to say good approach. You're going to be able to come to an acceptable approach as a result, you know? Yeah. And like the, the funny thing about that is that one of the other, the other main complaint complaints yeah, that, that people will, will say has been cleared up by such a dietary approach is often like um, osteoarthritis or different symptoms of joint pain, which again, there's an established link between like those adipokines, which those inflammatory, inflammatory cytokines Paddy's referring to, you know, th- that are secreted from body fat. There's an established link between those and, you know, arthritic symptoms um, and metabolic syndrome and all these these different interconnecting symptoms that people report improving so you always have to you almost have to just take that like Occam's razor approach to it where it's like right is it likely that this is just the meat or is it potentially the caloric restriction and the weight loss that maybe led to improvements in some of these things so yeah anyway that's that's sort of an, an aside but I guess like one of the things to take away from that is that there's a lot of things going on under the hood you know in our bodies that like some of which we understand lots of which we don't understand um and you can't always just assume that changing one thing like that that was definitely the thing that you changed especially in nutrition it's virtually impossible to identify one single change that you made um so yeah like with the nutrition aspect like it's even it's it's harder than the training aspect because at least with the training aspect, you get almost immediate feedback like you're like oh, I changed from doing an incline barbell press to a fucking flat barbell press. And you're like, well, this section of my pec hypertrophied more or my shoulder hurt doing this. It's like, it's almost immediate feedback, but it can take fucking 20 weeks, 30 weeks, a year, two years, five years, 20 years, 60 years to actually see the impact of dietary interventions. And this, again, like 
the actual thing that's being focused on doesn't necessarily mean that that is the thing that caused the results because it's very easy. Like I said, with a saturated fat one earlier on, it's like you bring in a saturated fat intervention and get people to reduce their saturated fat intake. And then all the things that are attributed to high saturated fat intakes reduce, right? So you could just, you can use that research and say this 1000% validates our claims. But when you actually look at it, it's like, oh, well, there was this other thing that changed substantially. So did you take account of that? And like some science will, and you'll be like, well, so we, this happened, this happened, and we weren't really able to decipher what the actual reasoning behind this was, you know? And they'll, they'll say like, you know, we think that, you know, maybe the, this is causing a 20% you know, change here. And this other thing is the 80% change, you know? So that's, that's how they'll, they'll go like, maybe they won't quantify it like that, but they'll be like, well, we think, you know, this is roughly what's happening. Right. So they'll, they'll quantify that, but it, the translation into the actual practices of individuals then is completely different, you know? So like nutrition is so hard, like to dial it into one variable and say that that was the causative factor of the change that you were trying to influence so hard to do like even again like we'll just talk about from the calories perspective if you're like oh well we changed your calories and you know we we reduced your overall inflammatory load we'll, we'll say this you know that's not necessarily even the reason behind that like maybe we changed your calories and you stopped eating i don't know bread or something and you were just always having an inflammatory reaction to bread you know pick pick whatever food group food whatever you know and you're like oh cool like it was the calories now you know and it's like well like I, I i can't decipher like you've changed your food practices like i reduced your carbohydrates by 200 grams you know it's like like it, what like is that the reason your inflammatory load went down like your, your overall calories went down or is it because you're now eating different foods you're now eating you know more we'll say quote unquote, whole foods, and you're getting more vitamin C, you're getting more, you know, antioxidants in your diet as a whole. I'm like, I can't like, fully say that, oh, it's purely the calories, you know, or purely the food choices, you know, like there's, there's so much overlap and so much, we'll say, quote unquote, redundant uh, mechanisms that lead to the same outcome. And it's so hard to actually fully decipher, like you have to do incredibly detailed and specific science to fully be able to do that and like some of that science is just impossible to actually do because you'd have to have someone live in a metabolic ward for their entire life you know and it's like no one no one's doing that and then we can use like rat studies or something but you know that doesn't mean that they're a good uh, animal model for what we're trying to influence like this is again this is why i always say neuroscience is fake like half jokingly, but they always use like animal models. And it's like, like rats don't get depression, right? So what they do is they induce the symptoms of depression in a rat, right? And then they cure those symptoms. But that doesn't mean that those symptoms were depression, you know? So did you cure depression in a rat or did you just alleviate those symptoms? You know, so it's, there's this huge, huge, like, the animal models aren't necessarily correct, but then they're used to justify an approach. But again, it's like, how do you solve that? Because we can't do some of these things in a human model. So again, it's incredibly complex. And to say that, like it's so reductionist that you can just say, yeah, it's just calories and macros, hit them, you're good to go. It's like, like yeah, that works from a, a body composition perspective, 
until it doesn't work from a body composition perspective. And what about health? Again, like what about health? And what about performance? You know, there's there's so much more to the conversation than just this very basic not calories and macros, hit them. Like, yes, that is the answer. But like how you go about that also matters. Yeah, and, and the problem like one of the difficult things that you already alluded to when it relates like relating nutrition and health as well is that like problems related to nutrition accumulate like not over weeks, not over months, like it's over years and decades. Like like it could be 50 years. Like, you know, the, the process of atherosclerosis, which like is basically one of the mechanisms of heart disease. It's essentially like you get hardening of your arteries, the buildup of an atheroma, a little bit of a plaque in the arterial wall. And that can lead to, to multiple problems such as, you know, heart disease, stroke, etc. So like that is something that develops over the course of decades, you know, so, and, there, and there's multiple factors that like interlink together so you're sort of trying to make these like um estimates of like what things that probably matter probably matter most like the the saturated fat thing is one like if you look at you know the the mechanistic evidence for why why some saturated fatty acids again we're not talking about one thing which complicates it again if you've got mechanism yeah categorize things these are saturated fats but there's differences there's shades within shades within that yeah so like and and then and then like you can you can zoom into specific saturated fatty acids and consider like which ones do or don't increase your risk factors but then again you have to zoom out and think oh actually we just we eat food so what does that actually mean for food so this is one of the things it is quite complicated and we've said saturated fat a few times just because it's kind of come up as an example but what we're not saying is that like you should just ignore saturated fat and eat as much as you want like that's probably not a good idea at all it's just a, an example Patty was using um, because again it's, it's just a, a classic example where you could eat some saturated fat you know you could have a little bit in your diet all the time and that could be just fine but if you consume like really high amounts and specifically if it's of, of certain types of saturated fatty acids some might increase your risk others won't so that's why nutrition is you know quite complicated and it's not so easy to just say that that it is one thing but bringing it back a little bit to the actual specific topic we've kind of touched on like why food choices, like they do matter. So you should be thinking about the foods that you consume, not just from the health perspective, which is what we focused on the last few minutes, but also from the perspective of adherence um, to your diet. It's probably important, you know, considering satiety, considering the, the, the palatability of your foods, how, how, how likely you are to overeat, etc. But then there's another element to this kind of flexibility component that, that I think about quite a bit. And that's the development of positive habits and that's where flexibility can be a bit of a problem sometimes where people are so flexible they have zero structure and then they don't end up developing positive habits day to day and the way I like to think about this is how much of your cognitive capacity or attention or awareness does nutrition take up every day ideally you want it to be pretty low like I don't want I don't want to be thinking about food or 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 focused on food throughout the day like that's not really a useful a, a useful use of your resources just, you just just clarify that that doesn't mean yeah at the start of your diet in terms of like yeah you're going from having never done anything diet ways like i, I don't want you to start off and be like yeah, just fucking yolo it wing it and don't think about things much like at the start of your diet you're, you're, you're probably going to have to think about things consciously a lot more it might take up a lot of your mental space to actually get your diet in order but what gary's talking about is like you've already got that stuff in order yeah. you are looking to actually live a sustainable life 
with around your diet or rather have your diet support a sustainable life you know yeah and like i mean the reason i i feel confident talking about this is because i definitely experienced both sides of this coin like i remember like years ago doing the whole you know flexible dieting thing and you know availing of the novelty of being able to consume you know a wide variety of foods and at certain points I remember having this kind of focus where I was like, and I, I know a lot of people have this experience where you're just kind of living meal to meal. You know, you're like, oh, what do I eat now? You know, what do I have left? How many carbs? How many protein? How much fat? And you're constantly thinking like, what have I used up? What do I have left? What could I eat? And you almost come to the end of the day. And this is something a lot of people report. Um, and you're, you're almost, you're genuinely thinking for like 15, 20 minutes. You're like, what could I fit in? And it becomes this idea of like, what could I fit into my diet to make it fun? And like some people I know, like they change that every day. Like they change what they fit in every day. They can go to the shop, looking around stores, seeing what they could fit in. And that's where things can become a little bit troublesome because if you're constantly thinking like, to, like at, in the moment every day and you have no plan, you have no habits, then nutrition is a big focus in your life and you can see how that would then relate to potentially poor adherence or some disordered be eating behaviors. And the thing is, like, they lie on a spectrum. Like, it's not just the case that, like, oh, you've got a perfect relationship with food or you've got bulimia or anorexia. It's like there's, the, there's this spectrum there where, like, if you're really food focused all the time, you're constantly, you know, being real neurotic about like to the gram nutrition, like it's, and it's actually affecting the way that you live your life because you're constantly thinking about it. Then there's some, you're, you're probably somewhere on that spectrum. That's not ideal from the perspective of like wanting to live your best life and just getting on with it without having to worry too much about nutrition. Like ideally, at least from my perspective, nutrition should almost be an autopilot. Like that's why you, why we talk about dietary patterns. Like when we're looking at nutrition over the long term, because you want to get to the point where, you've got a fairly consistent, good dietary pattern where things are similar week to week. Not doesn't have to be the same, but they're similar. And you could, you could look back and say, roughly my diet looks like this, as opposed to it just being just totally weighing it every day. Is that something you'd agree with? Yeah, hundred percent. And like, I, like it, to make it clear to people, like what Gary's saying is like, there's, you could be an individual that literally is living meal to meal to an extent. Like you're literally always focused on like, Oh, what can I fit in here? I'm going to have, like, even if you are doing it, somewhat smartly intelligently um and you're like oh well i'm gonna allot like 800 calories here to this meal or 600 or whatever fuck makes sense for you you know and you're like what can i fit into that you know it's like that that is intelligent enough if you're like looking at your overall day you're like okay cool i know i have x meal for breakfast or i have whatever a thousand calories for breakfast thousand calories for lunch and a thousand calories for dinner you're like what can I fit within that? Like you're still giving yourself some sort of structure. And like, again, like what I'm a big fan of is having, you know, we'll call them baseline meals where you're like this, these sort of meals make up 80, 90% of my overall diet. You know, it's like you sort of cycle between a few different foods, you know, like it might be like, like I just like mince and veg and rice or something like that. You know, it's like that makes up most of my meals, but then every day, my last meal of the day, I'm like, I have a bit more flexibility within that. However, I still know roughly what I can fit within that in terms of I'm like, you know, I might have eggs and toast or something. I might have kippers and toast. I might have oats and some whey. I might have, you know, some liver. I'm like, there's a few different foods that I cycle in and out. So my diet has a little flexibility, but occasionally as well, I'll be like, 
oh, it's a Saturday night. I'm going to go out and have food out, you know, and that fits within that overall structure, you know? So again, like we're not saying that you need to have a, a completely rigid structure to your day in terms of the actual foods you eat every single meal, but there's the flexibility aspect comes in when you're like, I know roughly how my overall structured diet looks like. And these are the, the flexible components. Like maybe it is that you give yourself 200 calories per day, you know, and you're like, if I feel like having a, a chocolate bar or something in the middle of the day, I do that. Again, like that could be a perfect approach for you. That again could be a terrible approach for you, but you're like, I'm, I, I know that that's going to fit into my day at some stage. You know, it's not something that I'm overly focused on. I know I'm going to have my breakfast, my lunch, my dinner, or whatever meal structure makes sense for you. And you know, if I, if I feel like I would be hungry for that 200 calories, I'll, I'll have the chocolate bar or whatever. If I'm not, I'll just have extra fucking, I don't know, oats tonight, whatever the fuck, you know? And so yeah, I completely agree with you. There, there needs to be some sort of structure, but also it doesn't mean that that needs to be a rigid structure. But you should be able to look back and like if someone asked you, like talking through a, a general day for you, you should be able to have an idea of what a general day looks like for you. Like this again, like, like Danny Lennon talks about it a lot with that kind of chrono nutrition, chrono biology, which like I actually don't agree with a lot of that stuff because it's just it's almost the wrong way to look at things in terms of like, like organic systems sync up. There is synchronicity within organic systems. So yes, it makes sense, but that doesn't mean that that's the thing you should focus on. But I, like, I think Danny explains that quite well, but anyway, that's beside the point. Um, like th there is an aspect of nutrition, which is often forgotten. And that is like the meal timing aspect influences, like even with dogs, like they'll have a, almost a Pavlovian response. Like if you always feed them at 11 AM, like they'll always get hungry at 11 AM. Like you always find this as well. Like people try to do this. They have a very rigid structure Monday to Friday because they're in work and then they sleep in on the weekends. And like, we already know that that disrupt, disrupts sleep. You know, like we know that that influences your circadian rhythm in terms of your sleep cycles, but it also influences your circadian rhythm in terms of your feed cycles. You know, like now you've pushed one meal back further and now you're finding it hard to stick to your overall calories because, you know, your structure is completely gone. There's no structure to your day. You know, you don't have a, a breakfast time, a lunch time, a dinner time. There's, there's, it's, it's completely gone. And as a result, your dietary appearance is awful, you know? So the the influence of that kind of chronobiology in this whole argument like needs to be taken into account if you're actually talking about a sustainable living dietary pattern and again i'm not saying that you need to eat at the exact same at 7 a.m boom i need to eat my meal i'm not saying that but like if you're looking to control as many variables as possible that might be a good idea but also you need to take that into account with your overall dietary and life structure you know you need to take into account that i'm probably going to be hungry at 10 a.m because when i'm in work monday to friday i'm going to have a snack or whatever at 10 a.m so how do i count for that on the weekends like am i going to put some structures in place to actually allow me to adhere to my diet or am, is it going to reach 10 a.m and all of a sudden i'm hungry and i have that lunch scheduled for one and now I'm, I, I don't know what I'm going to eat then. You, you know, your whole overall structure of your day is just completely gone. You're like, 
or I'm going to eat something at 10 now and then you end up overeating by fucking 600 calories and then you're like, ah, fuck, I fucked it. So the whole day is worthless. You go fuck out. You go out on a big mad one, you know. So you, you have to take this stuff into account. And again, that doesn't mean that you need to be so highly structured that your meals are at the exact same time to the fucking second every day. That's also not what we're saying. Like there needs to be flexibility within that as well. But you have to understand that your body does have uh, a rhythm to it. So, you know, you have to take into account those hunger signals. Like again, people do this all the time where like, it'll be 3 p.m. and they're like, oh man, I feel so tired. Like this happens to you every day. So like you should, you, you should be aware of this, you know? So you either come up with strategies to prevent that or you go like, look, here, talk to my boss. Can I take 15 minute nap at 3 p.m.? I'm going to take 15 minutes less at lunchtime, you know? Whatever the fuck it is, like there are definitely ways to overcome it. Again, maybe not in your job, maybe not in whatever you can yeah. do. But maybe it is the fact that you're like, oh, well, I'm fucking sleepy at 3 p.m. every single day, but then you stay up till fucking 2 a.m. every single day and try to get up at 7, you know? So like take those things into account, you know? But you will notice that there is this rhythmicity to your overall day. And that also has to be taken into account with your, your, your diet, you know? Yeah, and, and there's also this, you just remind me of that like, there's this link as well between everything we talked about in the first half of this podcast and the sort of second half. So basically thinking about like, right, basic food choices and then the second part being like routine. And you've got these dietary habits and you've got some sort of structure to your day-to-day eating and your food choices and your meal prep, then it's easier to make adjustments to your food choices and know what effect they're having. For example, like it could be the case that you were cooking all of your meals um, for years in butter and you looked at your fat and my fitness pal and like 60 grams of your 80 grams of fat per day were, you know, from saturated fat sources. Like that might, might've been what you found. So like, what's a really easy way for you to, to adjust that? If you had a consistent structure to your diet, then you can basically say, right, you know what? I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep butter in my first meal. My second meal, I'm going to, you know, add some nuts instead of butter. In my third meal, I'm going to have some olive oil instead of butter. And in my fourth meal, I'm going to have salmon in, instead of a saturated fat source or whatever. So like you, you've still got, you know, you've got some saturated fatty acids, you've got monounsaturated fatty acids, polyunsaturated fatty acids, whatever. That's not the important point. The important point here is that you can then, you, like, you know what you've changed, you know what you've held constant to some degree within reason. Like, as we said, there's lots of moving parts in nutrition, but then you can know like at least what, what things are making you feel better or, I don't know, maybe changing the, the blood markers that you're measuring with your doctor or changing your, your, sense of, your sense of well-being, your energy in the gym, whatever it is, and your satiety, that's a big one. You know, you might find that in your third meal of the day, your dinner, um, you normally have rice, but you're trying to improve your satiety or increase your dietary fiber. So you reduce your, fi- your, your rice serving by 50 grams and you add in 50 grams of red kidney beans, okay? And then you can see, you know, do I feel fuller after this? How has this affected my digestion, this extra 10 grams of fiber? But if you've got too many moving parts, you can never really get an idea of like what suits you. Like you never get to learn like what, what actually suits you from a nutrition perspective. Um, and that can be extended further to like really improve your life as well. Like for example, if you go out for coffee um, with your friend uh, two or three times a week and you've got a certain nutrition structure, then you can just, you know, move one one part of your diet to allow yourself to have i don't know maybe you want to have a muffin or something like so you you might reduce the size of your lunch and then you just have that muffin and it's just not a stressor 
because you know you've accounted for it to some degree. So the more consistency you've got in these habits and these daily structures, the easier it is for you to make those food choices or food choice changes and to measure what their outcomes actually are. So all these things are interlinked together, you know? So that's, that's why I guess we wanted to make this episode. And you guys should just get a grasp of the concept that flexibility, it has its limits. It's really beneficial to not view foods as just being good and bad in a binary fashion, but it's not beneficial to say that food choices don't matter, you know, and it's not beneficial to say you can eat whenever you want because these things do affect your outcomes and they, they certainly affect your, your adherence and potentially even the psycho-emotional downstream effects of you interacting with your diet, which is also a really important part of this. Yeah, so to make it like a bit more practical for the individuals, like what you should take away from this is like calories matter, right? That's undeniable, right? So thermodynamics yeah. is what is influencing everything and again like if you even just take that perspective and again look at if you're looking at studies or you're looking at claims made in media online whatever and they don't account for that right just basic thermodynamics they've already missed a huge part of the overall argument both in terms of body composition health performance right so calories calories are king right and then macronutrients important too right? So you get those two things nailed down, like you will get results. Okay. However, what you have to layer on top of that is food choices do matter. Like how you actually make up those calories does matter, right? Again, matters from a vitamin, mineral, whatever perspective, uh, matters from a satiety perspective, matters from a whatever you want to call a psychological perspective in terms of like, if you're eating completely bland foods, you're probably not going to stick to your diet. But again, if you're eating all hyper palatable foods, it's also probably going to be hard to stick to your diet and actually hit your calories, you know? And so you have to take those things into account, but then you actually have to take into account, you know, what are you actually trying to influence in your overall life? You know, like what you should be trying to influence is, again, body composition is part of it, health, performance, but also your enjoyment of overall life. Because again, like I would, I would classify that as health, but like we'll say it's an extra point and your overall enjoyment of life. And the easiest way to do this seems like the hardest way to do it, but it is to actually give yourself some structure to your day. Like, you know, Jocko Willink always goes on about like discipline equals freedom. And to an extent, that's extremely true right here because if you have more, we'll call it dietary discipline in terms of you know what your rough structure of the day is, you know, you're like, I know I have X amount of calories available for breakfast, lunch, dinner. I know what, you know, daily structure I have to my diet and I know how much calories I have to play around with. We'll say it's 10%. You're like, I'm on a 2,000 calorie diet. That's 200 calories a day that you're like, I'm going to give myself a little bit of flexibility, but you have an overall structure to your day. That discipline of having that structure, that discipline of essentially sticking to your diet gives you the ultimate freedom 
to actually live your life. Because like Gary was saying, if you don't have that discipline, you end up doing stuff like wandering around Tesco for an hour going like, mm, what if I fit that in or what about that? And that's just for one meal, you know? And so you have to look at your overall diet and take so many things into account that to say it's all just calories and macronutrients, it's too reductionist. However, this doesn't mean, I don't want people to come away from this podcast and think that we're, we're bashing on IFIM. I actually think it's a, a great approach to your overall diet once you bring in a bit of structure. And again, like there's arguments to be made against uh, a structured diet in terms of, you know, you might have less uh, micronutrient variability, if you want to call it that. Like if you're very structured and be like, oh, okay, I'm going to eat only these foods you know basically you push it back the other direction you're like I'm, I'm basically restricting myself to a certain limited number of foods like you you inevitably end up with micronutrient deficiencies because again like this is what you see in research that you know uh, flexible diets are more micronutrient dense if that makes sense um because they they end up having a more a, a bigger variety of foods within their within their diet and um, and as a result they get more micronutrition you know whereas the person that's like i just have trick ch chicken broccoli and rice it's like okay well you're going to end up deficient in something so again like the, the types of food that you eat does matter and again that matters from both the perspective of if you're this clean eating guy you still want to have variability in the foods that you eat you know you don't want to just be eating chicken rice and broccoli right but also if you are that fully IFYM bro and all you eat is burgers and pizza, it's like that's you're not actually achieving what you see in the research with a, a better micronutrient profile. You know, like you're again, you're essentially doing the exact same as the the, the non IFYM bro, you know, just chicken and rice. You're just doing it with burgers and pizza, you know, which yeah, sounds more enjoyable, but at the same time, it's like, like what are you actually trying to influence because i've seen people that are like oh well i do ifim and all that and i've seen their blood work and stuff and it's like when you're like markers of inflammation or like we'll call them recovery status stuff it's awful you know even like hormonal stuff it's just awful it's like and like what are you like yeah okay cool you have a six-pack but like are you are you looking to die when you're 50 like is that what we're trying to do here like because if we are then just continue on the road you're going you know and they're like oh i don't don't care about fiber it's like okay well like okay that's if, if you are an ifym bruh and you're like i'm i'm never changing it you have to remember that there are well technically there's five micronutrients or sorry macronutrients protein carbs fats fiber and water right like you have to eat all of those in macronutrient like macro qualities or macro quantities right so to only ever set three of those just makes no sense, right? Like if you go, oh yeah, I'm an IFM coach and you just go, I'm going to set calories, protein, fats, and carbs. It's like, okay, well, there's two other macros that you're just not setting here. Like, are we just going to ignore them? You know? Uh, so like, that's not to say that you have to set uh, a water quantity, but at the very least, you should be looking to have the minimum fiber recommendations met. And again, this is talking true diet, not through supplementation where you're like oh well i had some fucking fiber supplement that i added to my day it's like okay well 
like yeah that'll help you get your numbers up but you know it's probably first of all one of the more expensive ways to do it and then second of all misses the whole concept because again as we said we don't know all of the bioactive components in food we know fiber seems to be a good proxy for these things but that doesn't mean that we know every single last thing about it you know so Again, a key takeaway would probably be that we fucking don't know everything about diet. So stop trying to be extremely reductionist and go, oh, it's all just calories and macros. Because while that is a, a good proxy statement, that just ignores the fact that we don't know everything and ignores the actual human lived experience of that. You know? Yes, sir. So there's anything else you want to add to that, Gary? I think we covered everything. We covered... Uh, I think that I, we we actually did cover the majority of it. Like there is, there's more like psychological stuff we could get into, but I'm not a psychologist. You're not a psychologist, but there is obviously that whole, again, as I said, that lived experience of it. And again, like this is, this is where you'll see a lot of variability has to be individualized. Again, like we were saying, like it could be the, the person again, it's like, if I have this, if I have one cookie, I'm having the fucking packet, you know? So, for them, you know, maybe a more rigid, strict diet is actually what's going to lead to more sustainability long term. But again, that's not to say that that's the best approach full stop, you know. And the same again, if you have lots of rigidity and structure and you're finding it uh, oppressive to your overall life where you're like, oh, I have to eat on this schedule and, you know, all that. And it's like you, you're eating the same foods. It's like that's also not the best approach maybe for you having a bit more variability having a bit more flexibility in your food choices you know and again like that could be good food quote unquote and bad sorry junk food quote unquote and like i don't really care but at the same time you just have to look at the individual and then look at what's actually trying to be achieved like if you get 80 90 percent of your nutrition from a variety of again quote unquote whole foods like you're doing pretty fucking good right you know like you're, you're covering your bases after that yeah have a bit more fun you know that's perfectly fine again once it still allows you to stay within your overall calories eat a calorie appropriate diet because again we know that matters but also like just just because you have fun calories allocated doesn't mean that you have to use them for absolute shit you know like if you do find yourself entering into those like what just 100 percent looks like eating disordered or disordered eating like you see people literally just fasting all day so they can eat shit it's like well like if if i always just think i'm like if you had a 13 year old girl that said that yeah i actually just starve myself all day and then i'd like to pig out a binge binge eat in the evening you'd be like right we actually need to get you some you know help but apparently it's okay in the fitness industry you know so like you have to be extremely aware of what you're actually doing because while you might not actually think that these are disordered eating patterns that doesn't mean that that's not what they actually are and that doesn't that doesn't mean that you can ignore how that eventually influences your overall dietary adherence because you see this all the time this is this is one of the critiques of uh, intermittent fasting as a whole because like i'm, I'm kind of bagging on that but i'm, I'm going to keep doing it because fuck it yolo um, but it's one of the critiques is it teaches people to eat larger meals you know like because you're like oh well, i have to eat 3000 calories and I have only an eight hour window to eat that. Right. And that's perfectly fine if you're going to stay with that for the rest of your life. But if you try to then transition to a different uh, timing strategy, like you try to go back to having like breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever, you still crave those fucking huge meals. 
like your body has like stretch receptors or whatever in the stomach and it's like they they still crave that huge food volume that you were you were fucking cramming down you know so people can then find it really hard to eat a quote-unquote normal diet because these 500 calorie meals don't satiate them anymore and they're fucking craving those fucking thousand calorie meals that they were having before you know so you have to actually look into the long-term perspective with these things and how certain dietary patterns can lead to different adaptations and i'm not saying with that as well like that you can't eat in an intermittent fasting style and then you can can never transition back because you or i'm not saying that intermittent fasting is you know uh an eating disorder or disordered eating i'm just saying that you actually have to just think a little bit deeper about what are the actual ramifications of this approach like for you it might be perfectly fine that you know you just eat in a time restricted fashion and you know you don't ever end up craving these huge meals you know but maybe that is you as an individual and you're going to have to then come up with an approach to cycle off that if you are trying to then eat in a, a, a normal pattern you know so like all of this stuff has to be taken into account and like that's that's not calories that's not fucking macro that's 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 the this whole like psychosocial whatever fucking you want to call it like the actual lifestyle stuff you know so there, there's more to it basically is what we're saying the whole fucking concept of this podcast is there's more to it than just calories and macros you know and again like i don't want to misrepresent people and say that that's they're just saying that there's not more to it because i think the people that are actually like at the top, the floating heads of the IIFIM world, like they, they've put that across. They contextualize that, you know? It's more so on social media that you see people effectively lie and all they ever show is them eating junk, you know? Because again, like, no one wants to see your picture of your fucking chicken and rice. You know, that's, that's not going to get your fucking 6,000 likes, you know? So... Whereas that burger that you had that's fucking dripping with fat, bacon, cheese, everything, you're like, yeah, that's going to get the fucking likes, you know? So, like, obviously there is that kind of selection bias. But, again, it just, it, it, it makes people think you eat a certain way and that that is a perfectly okay way to eat when that isn't necessarily, like, they don't see the, the other things that you're doing to allow you to do that. And that also doesn't mean that that is, a good way for you as an individual to eat, you know, like you see this, uh, or you saw this played out a while ago in the fitness industry where people were really hammering, like, oh, you need to eat your like uh, cereal after your workout, you know, and you'd see like bikini girls, they're on like 1200 calories trying to fit cereal in after their workout. And it's like, like, no wonder you're fucking starving. You're eating one of the least or most what we'll calorie dense foods with the least amount of satiety, like you're eating like rice puffs, you know? Uh, and it's like, this, this is not going to keep you full until your next meal. So you're going to have to do, like, fit that in. It's perfectly fine. I'm not saying that that's bad necessarily, especially like nowadays, they fortify cereal. So you actually get quite a lot of like micronutrition from it. Maybe not in the best form, bioavailable form, but you do get quite a lot of nutrition, micronutrition from it. Um, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be satiated then to your next meal. Like that, like you have to take all this stuff into account. Again, that's not a, a calories macros thing. It's like the actual lived experience, how this influences the individual, you know? Yep. So like 
one of the key summary points here is that like there is no sweep all rule. You could be listening to this as the person who has severe anxiety related to food because you are afraid to eat sugar, you know, because it's, you think it's detrimental to your health. You're afraid to go out to eat because, you know, you're so focused on having a rigid list of foods and like that's not useful. And again, that's why we're saying like we're not going to talk about all the psychology because that's the type of case where you it would be beneficial to work with an actual psychology professional of some sorts, particularly one that specializes in disordered eating. But similarly, on the other side of the coin, if you're that type of person that, like you said, fasts all day so that they can binge on junk food, again, like that's probably not a great practice. You know, that's that's not great. So both of those people are very different, but neither of them are doing what would probably be advisable. Like in general, I think the further you get from a like an, an intuitive eating approach, like the further you get from at least listening to your body to some degree, being aware of when you're hungry and being aware of, you know, how much food you might require. I think the further you get from that, um, the worse things tend to get. So like on the one side, you've got that, that, that person who's fasting all day, you know, pretty much starving themselves so that they can binge uncontrollably and keep eating beyond the point of fullness. Not a great idea. Similar to the other person, never satisfies any of those actual desires for food or, or, or tasty food because they're so afraid of it being harmful. So there are no generic recommendations here. Um, you can take away a lot of things from this podcast. Um, one of them is that, you know, food choices do matter. Um, do think about the foods that you eat. Um, there's a big difference between getting all your carbohydrates from Pop-Tarts and getting them from potatoes and vegetables and fruits. Big difference there. Uh, let's do some sort of structure. That needs to, will depend on you. You know, if you're someone that works at home on a laptop, then maybe it's just the case that you have rough times you want to eat, but you don't really have to prepare because you've got the time to cook meals fresh. Like that's fantastic. That's a luxury. Um, if you're someone in college like ourselves, you probably need to meal prep the night before um, or at least know where you're going to eat so that it's not on, on, your, on your mind all day long. Um, you, you just don't want that. Um, and then finally, there was the, those sort of psycho-emotional, psychosocial considerations. You know, ask yourself, um, like, what is your relationship with food like actually like? Are you, are you intermittent fasting because you perceive there to be some sort of health benefit or it genuinely just helps your adherence? Or are you facilitating binge behaviors? Likewise, are you quote-unquote eating clean because you're afraid to eat certain foods or are you genuinely just making food choices and um, with your health in mind and you're not overly food focused and you've got a great relationship with food so they'd be my take-home point from this podcast paddy do you have anything else you'd like to summarize for the listeners no that all sounded pretty on point basically matter food choice matters when you eat matters everything matters it just matters to a different extent you know so yep. see someone saying one thing is the be all and end all, they're probably wrong. Yep, most likely. Um yeah, that's that's everything. Now it's time to lock absolute shite. Um first of all, what is the story with group coaching, Gary? Group coaching. We've just made some adjustments and split it into a male and female group. So We've got one male group coaching um, service. Uh, that was something that we decided on because there are some differences in the typical males and females that tend to approach that service in terms of 
their level of experience, what they want, some of the things that you know might be relevant to, to each population. So we've decided it'd actually be better to have a male group and a female group with different programming, different advice, um, and also different people leading it. So this is a bit of an announcement, I guess. The male group coaching service will continue to be led primarily by myself and Patty um, for the moment. And because we are males, in case you didn't notice, um, bold of you to and bold of me to assume um, and yeah that will be you know staying as it is so that'll be the guys group and then we're going to have the female ladies group and that's being led by Breed Long so Breed Long is going to be starting this week with the female group and she's going to be taking the lead there and helping out all of the ladies in that group so if you are interested um, I do think it's nice to have a lady that's actually leading the group you know a female a woman your preferred terminology um, someone leading that group because there are unique you know things that that women tend to come across unique obstacles and um, like whether it be the menstrual cycle whether it be difficulties entering the gym environment differences in size certain pieces of equipment um, you know there's lots of things that we don't necessarily understand and encounter on a daily basis so we felt that to really enhance the, that service, it would be great to get you know a woman on board who could actually lead that coaching that coaching service. And Breed is a very competent coach. She wouldn't be coming on board otherwise. Very interested in helping people, um, and I'm really excited to to get that going and to, to see how people get on with it. So if you are interested in those services, both will be linked below in the description box, or you can go to triagemethod.com forward slash group coaching, and you'll find the relevant information there. Um, it's 35 euros a month for both services. Um, and as I said, if you are, you know, like I think one of the limiting factors sometimes can be like women like want to have their own group, but they discuss those, their individual problems. Um, and don't necessarily, sometimes in some Facebook groups, I've seen um, women being afraid to comment and stuff because it's like guys who take their training real seriously. So we wanted to foster a better community environment. So if that's you, get involved. And um, the female coaching starts this week so first week of the program but you can sign up at any time um because your subscription is essentially rolling so if you sign up two weeks two weeks you know in the middle of the program you'll just be able to start the next program anyway so it's not it's not a problem and the same goes for the guys coaching so so that's there if you're interested sounds good gary um yeah it is something that like i was thinking for a while that we really needed to push because we haven't really pushed our group coaching like we do have a good few males in the group um well females like i've talked to some people that they do come with those thought processes like you've said they're like oh well i don't want to be in a guy's group and whatever yeah so it was something that we felt was missing and it's something that hopefully we can help push forward in at least the irish fitness industry um because like you do obviously see female groups online a lot but a lot of them is like oh buy my skinny tea and these booty bands and whatever else and like mm -hmm. i think it's firstly i personally think it's morally reprehensible but um i think it's a, a poor service provided to women as a whole because it doesn't actually like it does like there's always going to be a like selection bias or a survivorship bias in that in terms of like people get results with that and they use those results to push forward which propagating other people or promoting other people to join the group when it's not necessarily beneficial for them. So I wanted to provide a service or rather we wanted to provide a service that would actually help a lot of women, the majority of women, if they wanted to avail of that service, you know, but yeah, that's, 
that's actually started today because this podcast will be up tomorrow, Gary. Um, so Sunday today. So, well, it's Monday when they're listening to this or it could be in the future. I don't fucking know. Um, but yeah, it started on whatever day it is, Monday the 16th. Um, yeah, you can join at any time. Again, like I said, rolling subscription. So again, you can cancel at any time. You just need to email us and we'll sort that out. Um, other than that, um, we do have ebooks coming out over the next while. Uh, we do have some other stuff on the horizon. Um, but yeah, life is good. Um, How is college going for you, Gary? I saw that you had a, a cup of coffee earlier in the week. And if I'm not mistaken, I think I saw you having a cup of coffee today. No, nah, that was a decaf. Uh, <laughs> still caffeine but, uh, yeah there's still I think I think there's still like is it 20 milligrams or something like that in it I'm not sure there's a, li- a little bit of a hitter just keep you going like um but yeah I did actually have a my first cup of coffee in like seven or eight weeks and I posted about that in the Facebook community which everyone is obviously in that's the triage method community if you're not involved um but yeah it was actually quite interesting because you know I think we've actually talked about it like before in relation to caffeine about how one of the things that you tend to desensitize to quicker when you drink caffeine is the euphoric mood enhancing effect. Like that tends to dampen much sooner as you begin to, to drink caffeine. Whereas the, the general kind of anti-fatigue or alertness uh, benefits that you get, they tend to prolong a little bit longer. You just increase the dose a little bit. Um, but that, that kind of euphoric experience from drinking caffeine is something that I haven't felt for like, I don't know, seven years, like <laughs> whenever I started drinking coffee. Um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. So I think probably like not just go back on caffeine full time <laughs> just because I'd like to I still, I still preserve get, that benefit. Yeah, I still get those uh-huh. benefits whenever I drink coffee. So like that. I don't. <laughs> I didn't. Rather. I also get fucking, which is real weird. If I drink like a, a diet drink, um, I, it feels like I've just dropped some fucking pingers. Um, <laughs> if I drink... Uh, like say a, a Coke Zero or something when I'm fasted because like the caffeine, yes. phenylalanine in it like contributes to like well this is my hypothesis anyway uh, monoamine synthesis so I basically get like this hit yeah. of dopamine and it feels like I'm fucking tricking balls but I'm, also, I'm just obviously sensitive to that like I already know that my fucking dopamine signaling is just yeah all over the fucking place um but yeah so. Maybe you should try that, Gary. Just have some fucking huge quantity of like Coke Zero or something, caffeine in that, and fucking hit her of some fucking phenylalanine fast for like 30 hours and then just be there. Be decent. Um, yeah, how's, how's college going? College is going good. We had, As you mentioned last week in the podcast, I had my first uh, cadaver lad this week, which is pretty cool. Um, like it was pretty cool experience like obviously it's a little bit sobering like i think a lot of people found it like oh shit this is obviously like pretty serious because i was actually talking with another girl in my class um and she like studied philosophy so she was like thinking of this like oh wait like why are we why are we uh we're focusing so much on the anatomy like this is a and this is a human whereas i was like the opposite like well like you could look at it two ways but she was like oh no we should be focusing on the fact that this is a a person and and you know let's let's talk about their name and what what did they do and all that which is a good point but i i came out of it being like 
fuck man it, like we're just lumps of meat like <laughs> conveniently work in a coordinated manner that it's it, it's it's miraculous like you can see why people are like like it's so religious because it's just wild that all this shit just works together so yeah it was like yeah it's was, it was pretty cool sounds like a good cracker right yeah that's my that's my insight you can you can be like yeah we are lumps of meat that just happen to work together or you can be like humans are so amazing and beautiful and crazy we are so much more than lumps of meat yeah. do what you will <laughs> and uh what's the crack with uh placement and everything eventually are they still getting like first years and second years and third years to do like fucking 30 hour shifts and stuff like that it's basically the way it works is your first year like it's the course i'm in in case people don't know is graduate entry medicine so it's different to if you just did it after you're leaving sir so it's normally like a five-year course and they kind of like they coax you in a little bit slower you know you have more time to adapt to the college environment and stuff whereas now it's assumed like all right you people know how to study you people know your shit you've got some background like let's get stuck in so it's a bit more of an accelerated course so the first year and a half is like real like all the dense theory is like just thrown at you and then the second two and a half years um so from middle of second year to fourth year is pretty much all placement and you do like different rotations in different sites you could have like psychiatry and obstetrics and gynecology endocrinology cardiology etc so you rotate between all the different specialties i'm not sure how many you actually get to do but um but yeah it's a bit different to some courses in that like in physio for example you really got to take the lead on a lot of stuff because obviously there's a big difference between walking a patient down the hall and doing a hip replacement. <laughs> like, you know, you're obviously not going to get to do as much in medicine, um, but we'll see how that goes. Um, I don't think you have to do like 30 hour shifts or anything. I think it's a bit more reasonable for students, but I supposedly it's kind of like a cultural thing. Like you just, you go home when the, your superior says you leave and otherwise you don't leave, you know, <laughs> whereas physio is like, yeah, you're, you're gone for it. That's it. I, so I don't know how it works. We'll see. Yeah. Cause they're still on that fucking, what's his name? Huxley met it where they're just like, yeah, he was like, yeah, everyone just has to stay awake for like four days when he was there fucking banging back a load of cocaine. Uh, just yeah. And they still have that medical model, which is pretty fucking whack. Like makes no sense. Yeah. We were just talking about that, that the other day. Like it was like, for, for the listeners, basically, they, you, you often hear Americans talking about medicine. They talk about, quote, unquote, re- residency. Um, and basically, that was founded by a guy who essentially, you know, was, what, what was he doing? Was he, he was researching cocaine as a... No, it's an, as a, cocaine used to be used as an analgesic or like a, an Yes, anesthetic. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so that's the one. We use cocaine as an anesthetic. Like, that's where it comes from. We still use it. Yeah. To an extent, we use lidocaine. Like, if you ever go to the dentist, yeah. get stuff into your fucking tongue or whatever, it's probably lidocaine. This is why fucking dentists also always get raided by the fucking raw or whatever. Because just get lidocaine, cut their cocaine with, right? But anyway, um, so they, they use that as an anesthetic. And he was just fucking volleying it back fucking every fucking day. He actually went to uh, rehab for it as well to cure his fucking, basically, I think his name's Alfred Huxley, but, uh, and he was a doctor. He fucking was, you know, doing doctor shit, but he used to stay awake for like fucking three days and worked yeah. ridiculously long hours. And people were like, well, how the fuck is he doing? But he'd also always like excuse himself from like the middle of surgery and let the, the residents and whatever 
take over. And they'd be like, what the fuck are you doing that? And he'd be like, oh, my hands are shaking. And he used to say it was because he had a nicotine addiction. He needed to go fucking smoke or whatever. But uh, yeah, really, he was just fucking volleying back a load of cocaine. Um, so that's why he was getting fucking shakes. But yeah, he'd stay up. He'd work all these mad hours. And he effectively told the, the medical establishment to, this is how we're going to set up. Because he, he's a really good doctor, apparently. I don't know. Um, maybe cocaine will do that to you. I don't know. Um, but he, he, he was like, okay, we're setting up our like uh, doctor training. And he was like, well, they need to be really committed. They need to basically be residents. They need to be here and basically be on call all the time. They need to work like 30-hour shifts. They need to do like fucking... 100 hours per week and like basically they need to be fully immersed in this and like people were like well like that's fair enough like he's leading from the front he's doing this himself he's working these mad hours but the entire time he was just on fucking cocaine you know but yeah he went he went he went to rehab and <laughs> i think it's real funny he effectively went to rehab for cocaine because you know people were like well what the fuck actually we found this out that you're a cocaine addict and he was like oh sorry bro uh, so he went to re rehab for it but what he actually came out from rehab with was a cocaine addiction and a morphine addiction because they were using morphine nice. to like re like try to get him off cocaine so basically he had two addictions by the end of the rehab which is pretty unsound of the rehab uh, facility but look uh, he does what he does and um, yeah that's why medicine they have that residency they're just like yeah cool you're gonna fucking be in the you're gonna be a res resident you're gonna have to do like fucking 100 hour weeks so yeah yeah and that's basically why it's called residency is because you were basically living there that was it <laughs> so like the whole culture has essentially come from that and it's not as bad in ireland now to be fair as it is in like the us i think it's a bit bit wilder but in Ireland, like you do still work quite a few hours, but you do get overtime as well. Like, and that's never talked about. So I'm like, yeah, that's, that's pretty tasty as well. Like, so, you know, and obviously it's a bit unethical to like work 20 hours and then operate on a patient like that shouldn't happen. But <laughs> there are certain new laws. I think I'm not sure what they are. But. Yeah, I always think it's mad. It's like they just expect doctors to be able to concentrate after a 30 hour shift and do whatever. <laughs> like, like we know like there's so much like, how, how much sleep impacts this like, yeah. like this factory workers like this is the reason we have an eight hour work day is because they're like hey after eight hour eight hours of work like back in back in the day uh back in a day coming forward and everything like obviously there's a huge pressure from like the, the whole like labor movement and um, but he was like he like he's a real proponent of the why we have eight hours sleep eight hour work day because then you have eight hours of free time because like that's what it is so he was the biggest, well, the biggest proponent. He was the, the first fucking rich lad to propose that as a thing. But he was doing it purely from a perspective of this is actually going to increase my profit because he was noticing like after eight hours, the risk of like people catching their fingers in machines or uh, producing like crap uh, products increased. So he was like, well, from a cost benefit analysis, like this makes sense, you know, like no more fucking 16 hour work days. And he's like, Let's do eight hours, you know? And obviously, like, that was, again, as I said, like, huge pressure from the labor movement. I don't want to just belittle that contribution. But, uh, mm -hmm. so, like, I just don't understand how it's like, oh, yeah, if you're a factory worker who is making parts for a car, it's unsafe to work more than eight hours. But if you are a doctor who's operating <laughs> on individuals, perfectly cool. No worries. Just keep going. Keep going until you fucking leave some fucking scalpel and some young one, you know? Like, <laughs> mad, like. Yeah, it's a bit wild, all right? Like, like, even working as a personal trainer, like, after 10-hour day or something, 
you get to the end of the day and you're like, I feel like I can, I can barely even tell this person how many reps they have to do. I'm so tired. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, that's like not life or death. <laughs> This is this is why they end up with a bit of a bit of a. Yeah, I'll try and stay away from that. I'll definitely eat my caffeine then. So if Gary's coming in here and he's all fucking all jittery. I just I was just talking about the real chatting, real talkative. You know, that, that's why it's just chocolate. It's just that that teal feeling in my coffee or my chocolate. There's teal feeling in as as well. Not good enough. See, wake up. Um, anyway, um, how was your college? It was your first week back. What's the crack? Too easy. I basically three hours of actual college per week. As you saw, I did like four articles this week. Yeah, but uh, three hours of college. I have a project to do, which is pretty handy because like it's a uh, like I, I'm interested in the stuff that I'm doing. Like again, as I said before, it's sex differences in information and depression, which like. I've only done, like, this is my first week doing it, and it's a literature review. Uh, so I'm basically just reading the literature this week, you know, compiling evidence, you know, compiling data, you know. So that's, that's effectively what I've been doing this week. So I probably read about fucking 70 papers, or at least glossed through a lot of them. Like, you know, obviously I'm looking for certain things that, yeah. like, my advisor does a lot of work on, like, uh, serotonin receptors and stuff because she's actually a biochemist. Um, but well, she's actually a neuroscientist, which is fake, and I troll her about it all the time. But anyway, uh, so she's interested in that. Um, so like, I'm obviously looking for that a little bit more because she wants to use this re- this literature review to hopefully influence how she looks at other things or how she goes about doing further research. You know that kind of stuff. So obviously, I'm looking out for that in particular for her. But yeah, like it is, it is quite interesting in terms of there are actually huge sex differences in both inflammation and depression. But like there's, there's so many confounding factors in this that it's, it's hard to like, be like, these are the actual things, you know? Um, cause obviously you'd think like, Oh, well, what's the big one? It's like hormonal. And it's like, well, this actually doesn't like estrogen seems to be fucking, uh, inflammation protected or inflammation or anti-inflammatory and anti-depressive. And testosterone also seems to be anti-inflammatory and antidepressive. So it's like, okay, well, they're the major fucking hormonal things. Like, okay, let's look at progesterone. And like, obviously, there's all this other stuff that you have to go into. But yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. So I'm enjoying that. So I just have to basically start writing that shit up. Um, well, still have to do more reviewing of the literature. And other than that, I'm fucking enjoying it. Because um, we're actually doing a load of biochemistry this year. Well, this four-week block anyway. Like, because my module is on, like, proteins which is fucking horny love proteins um but yeah other than that it's fucking handy three hours of college is actually fucking pissed because then you can just do like it's tasty like you can do like i do about four hours of triage work two hours of because i basically just go in i go to the gym in the morning go to college usually it's a 9 a.m or a 10 a.m lecture and then i just stay in the library until like six and then i have jits in the evening at like half seven quarter past seven so I basically just do a, a nine to six every single day. So I'm basically doing whatever that is, 40 odd hours per week, Monday to Friday. And then obviously I do my work as well on the weekend. And obviously I'm not doing this, the exact same thing, but yeah, you get a lot of study done in terms of like, I only have to study one subject at the moment because we do it in four week blocks. And then also I get a lot of like literature review stuff done. And then I also get a lot of triage work done. So fucking loving life at the moment. It's too easy, basically. Fucking basically is. 
And like we were saying in this actual episode, to make it practical, not just chat shit, like I do still have, because again, like there's no structure to that day. Like it's like, oh yeah, be there for 9 a.m. It's like, okay, uh, then what the fuck do I do after that? So I do have structure to how I eat my meals. Like it's still somewhat similar day to day. Like I basically train in the morning, fasted, and then I have my breakfast after that training session. Like basically my sleep schedule is the same every day. That's 10 to 6. And then training half 6 till whatever half seven eight we'll say eight after i've showered and fucking whatever else and then drive to college i'm in there for a quarter past eight and college starts at nine say so i use that time either read some stuff listen to an ebook or or not an ebook uh, an audiobook um, and and eat my food at that time and then have my lecture and then sit in the library 12 one-ish have more food then again four five-ish like i usually like to have my uh dinner or whatever you want to call that uh about two hours before jits because i just don't like having it sitting in my belly if people are fucking yeah. neon belly stuff or anything i'm like yeah i'm just like, gonna oh. <laughs> myself here if you keep doing this um and then i have food after jits you know so like there is still structure to my day even though i could very easily just be like i'm just gonna wing it you know i'm just gonna fucking have it whenever and like once i come back from jits then i cook my food for the next day and then i also have my evening meal which is probably not the most ideal because first of all i'm training within like my finished training like an hour and a half before i go to bed and then i'm eating again like an hour before i go to bed so that's probably not optimal but again like it fits my overall structure to my overall day and it doesn't seem to impact my sleep quality or quantity much at all like i still get eight hours all the time you know yeah, and I, and I think that that might be one of the things that does get potentially a little bit lost when people do focus on like the like chrononutrition stuff, for example. Like, uh, like one of the, one of the outcomes you do see quite often is that like eating more of your calories earlier in the day is probably a good idea. But when you add into the equation, like you training twice per day, it's like most of those differences are going to get washed out. You know, it's like you are you are training when you go to jujitsu, you are doing all of these things that are increasing your sensitivity to uptaking all of those nutrients and being able to handle them better metabolically. So like, again, context matters when it comes to all this stuff. Yeah. Also factor in coffee as well. Like coffee has this ability because of the way it interacts with like the adenosine receptors, like it effectively resets your hunger signals. And again, like this is, this is why I think like people focusing too much on this chronobiology stuff, like there's so much that you have to factor in then. It's not just like the times you eat stuff. It's also the nutrients that you eat. Like if you have coffee, you effectually effectively set, like reset yourself because it affects your body temperature. It affects your, like the adenosine receptors. Like there's, there's so much that it does that if you have a coffee, does that mean now you're back at morning time? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like how does that affect you? all these studies that people are doing on how this don't like they're not factoring in caffeine so maybe that's why there's all these outliers they're they're having coffee they're having three four coffees per day you know you like you have to factor that in me personally i might have uh some caffeine usually in like a pill form before that morning workout like i I train like six days per week like two of those are cardio sessions well yeah train more than multiple times per day usually but anyway two, two of those are cardio sessions like they're real easy enough cardio and stretching like that's my wednesday and my saturday and then on monday tuesday thursday friday like i resistance train i'll have caffeine before then but during the day like i don't really drink coffee because first of all i don't want to fucking have to go down and buy it because 
I'd rather not spend my money, to be honest. Um, but second of all, like, I don't feel I need it. Like, there'll be occasionally, like, the only reason I'd have coffee in college is if I'm socializing, you know? Like, if someone's like, oh, do you want to go get a coffee? I'll be like, what time is it? Like, if it's past, like, two or three, I probably won't. Um, but if it's yeah. before, I'm like, yeah, all right, fuck it, we go down grab one like you need a 15 minute break just to fucking whatever clear your head get some sunlight in because i hate sitting indoors and um, but other than that i wouldn't really have a, a coffee during the day and like i know how you're going through this like completely cycled off coffee whatever uh washout period for yourself like <clears throat> i just notice no difference if i have caffeine or don't have caffeine like i just i don't get any of these withdrawal symptoms like you know you're like oh you get headaches and whatever like it just doesn't affect me. Like I could go three, four days without even realizing I didn't have coffee. You know, like when we were hiking in America or whatever, like I, I didn't even think about it, but loads of the days we just didn't have coffee and it just didn't, didn't even phase me. Like it wasn't something that I was consciously doing and it wasn't something that I even noticed retrospectively. Or rather, I did notice it retrospectively. I didn't notice it in the moment. I wasn't like, oh, geez, I'd love a coffee, you know? And so... Yeah, that's that's a, another observation. Um, doesn't seem to affect me. So whatever the fuck that means. But also, I think if you get eight hours of sleep per night, it also doesn't affect you because I've been actually really bad at that in the past in terms of like sleeping six hours. Because uh, again, like this is another thing that doesn't affect me. Like I can sleep six hours and I feel fucking refreshed. I don't feel tired throughout the day. But I do notice that I reach for that coffee a little bit more. You know, so maybe I'm just really bad at actually noticing consciously my desire to have coffee is you know a, a reaction to being more tired you know um like when we were doing fucking like five hour sleeps uh we'd just be fucking hammering coffee you know and like again like that's probably because we were tired <laughs> you know yeah. we just realize it and um, but yeah now that i'm getting eight hours sleep like everything's just fucking great with which is actually, I don't know, how, like putting this into fucking an actual real world thing. Like my blood sugar is always really, really low. Like even with like five, six hours sleep, it's always like 4.24. But now it's like 3.6, 3.8, like consistently. Like I don't measure it that often. So like I'm not like doing it daily, but whenever I do, it's always like low. So that could be good. That could be bad. Who the fuck knows? We're going to monitor it. Decent. A lot like you, which are fucking 11s or something, isn't it? <laughs> Once upon a time. Those brand new. Okay. Anyway, um, but yeah, the, the caffeine thing is interesting because you can have like really large variations in how people respond to caffeine. You know, some people just, they'll have caffeine and all they get is a headache and feel no benefits from it. It's like, okay, cool. Other people will just feel nothing. And then other people, like I have one friend and he's like, I genuinely would not sleep for two days if I had a can of Monster. And like, that's only 150 milligrams of caffeine. Like, that's not that much. And then you have people like you who are like, yeah, yeah, I, I get some benefits from it, but you know, I could have a cup. Like you could probably have a cups of coffee a day and still sleep just fine. You know, <laughs> so. I do get um, euphoria from it though. Yes, you do get the euphoria. There you go. So yeah, um, <laughs> like the whole theme of this conversation, there are no hard and fast rules here. You know, uh, there, there's variation in, in everything in human biology like those those cyp what is it like 1a2 um enzymes that do metabolize caffeine like there's variation in those between individuals and that's going to change you know the effects that that 
that come out of that. And again, like you know, like you're saying, if you are well slept, and um, the way that that caffeine interacts your with your adenosine receptor is going to be different to the person who is not well slept. So, so yeah, things are complicated. We keep trucking on. Um, yeah, I have nothing else to add. Do you, Gary? Nah, just it's, it's too easy. Actually, we do have something else to add, and I don't know. The Actually, so you're going to have to tell the details. We're going to a seminar. We're going to a seminar. Oh yes, yes, that's correct. On the on November twenty third, I believe. I think oh, it's the twenty third. Or else, yeah, or else the eighteenth or nineteenth. It's going to be mentioned in today's newsletter, anyway. So or yesterday's newsletter. If that's on my, that's on the website by now. So check our newsletter on site if you are wondering. But we are going to Roderick Chavez um, is sem seminar in Dublin um, some weekend in late November. It's being organized by uh, Lee Bell of TRA Performance, uh, David Nolan of Synapse Performance. Um, I think there's one other company involved. But anyway, basically they're bringing Roderick Chavez over to Ireland to run a seminar. Um, one day I think is focused on uh, more like strength and performance based stuff and the other day is focused on more kind of physique stuff and there'll be discussions of like training practices nutrition lifestyle potentially pharmacology i'm not sure i think you might touch on it um but yeah he's basically he's if you know dr mike Israel, he coaches him um and he's also he, he knows his stuff when it comes to like human biology and i, I quite like when people talk about training and nutrition when they have like a good foundation of like their knowledge of biology, physiology or biochemistry or whatever it might be, because you just get that extra bit of like robustness to what they're actually recommending. And I think it can be useful to hear the recommendation based on that stuff, even if it's not always like what you might think is best practice, because at least you can see like why someone might make a, tra a training or nutrition decision based on physiology. Um, so yeah, I, I've heard him speak on podcasts before and I, I've always liked what he, what he presented or at least the way he thinks about things. Um, he's also a good friend of like Lyle McDonald and stuff. So he's got, you know, some connections of people you may have heard of. So that may be something you're interested in. If you are interested in that, I'm sure we could include maybe the link below in the description box, maybe. Send it to me. I'll put it in. I'll send it to you. And then, or, or just, just Google the seminar. Um, you'll find it. And you can use triage 20 for 20% 20 off, which is actually pretty significant. Um, triage 20, 20% 20 off. Um, and we will be there. So, you know, if you want to come and chat shit to us, then that'll be a good opportunity. And you get to learn about training and nutrition in the process. Just don't laugh at my calves. I'm very sensitive about it. Yep. There you go. But yeah, I like Roderick. He literally, like, I like when people understand things, but don't just try to circle jerk each other off in the fitness industry because i find that's yeah. the case a lot of the time and like to an extent like it's it's always going to be the way because once you start talking in an in quote-unquote intelligent manner like you're going to attract a certain type of people that are trying to learn more whatever so i can understand why it happens but like i like to follow people or listen to people that actually go right this is roughly what i think the science says because again at the end of the day like it is interpretation of the science and this is what i've seen because the dude's old as fuck and um, yeah. I've seen in, like actually applying this stuff and how it relates to, you know, the outcomes we're trying to get, performance, health, longevity, whatever the fuck. And, you know, this is what the science says, but you know, in my experience, this is what happens. You know, like, I, I like to be able to see like someone's actual interpretation and how that is played out in the long, in, yeah, in the long run uh, effectively, you know? 
and he puts out smart stuff. You know, he he he, he makes sense. And while I might not always agree with his interpretation yeah. or his methods, at least you can see a logical, a, yeah, a logical path to why he's making those recommendations. You know, so we might differ in our methods, but his interpretation, I can see why he's making those recommendations. You know, which is again rare because people just follow like sand bites, you know, it's like just squat for big legs. He's like, okay, well, you know, maybe leg press is better for you. Like, even like stuff like that. I'm like, that's just, like, even just being able to say that and being like, okay, cool. Like I'm not dogmatically attached to these thought processes. Here's my thought processes to why I can make this change. It means that you just understand the fundamentals, not just you can repeat the fundamentals, you know, which is always good. Yep. So get involved. Triage 20 at checkout. We don't really get anything in return, I don't think, but you just should. Fuck it, I don't mind. I like them. We might even have them on the market. Fuck it. Like. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be tasty. Like. we also get Dave on again soon, so that'd be good. Dave's a good lad. Except he's ginger. Other than that, small and stumpy and ginger, but other than that, he's a nice guy. Like. You know what you're saying. Yeah, I try not to, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I have nothing else to say. Anyway, you're boring me right now. So, okay. 11 11, make a wish pad. I was literally just about to say that. That's <laughs> um, I made my wish, and it is to end this podcast. So, goodbye. Goodbye.